Hello, and welcome to the Night Sky Guide. This is Andrew Jacob, and I'm the curator at Sydney Observatory, part of Sydney's Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. Come on a tour of the night sky with me. Learn what stars and constellations are visible, where to find the planets, and what special events are happening overhead this month. To make the most of this guide, you should begin by gathering a few items together. Firstly, you will need a star map. You can download a free one from Sydney Observatory's website, where you'll find it in the Astronomy Resources section under Monthly Sky Guides. The star map will show you what stars and constellations are visible in the night sky this month, and I'll be referring to that star map in this guide. As well as the star map, a torch with a red LED or one covered with a few layers of red cellophane will be very useful. The red light will allow your eyes to remain dark adapted during the evening, yet still allow you to read your star map. Finally, a pair of binoculars or a telescope can be very handy. They're not essential for following this guide, but if you do have them, they will help you see a few of the fainter objects more easily and in more detail. Now that we have our equipment together, we need to know a few directions and also how to measure angles across the sky. You can find the cardinal directions, north, south, east and west, from a compass app on your mobile device. Or just remember, of course, that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And if the sun is setting at your right shoulder, then you must be facing south. Another useful direction to remember is the zenith. This is the point directly overhead. To find your way around the night sky, it helps to know how to measure angles across it. It mo makes no sense to say, for instance, that one star is two centimetres to the left of another, or that a shooting star left a trail half a metre long. Instead, we should use angular measurements. The distance around the horizon, from north through east, south, west and back to north, is 360 degrees. And from the horizon, vertically upwards to the zenith overhead, is 90 degrees. But how do we measure smaller angles? Well, despite the great variety of human form, our fingers, hands and arms are all pretty much in the same proportions. If you hold your hand out at arm's length and stretch out your little finger and thumb to make a hand span, they span an angle across the sky of about 20 degrees. A fist held out at arm's length, makes an angle across the sky of about 10 degrees. And a finger held up at arm's length is about one degree or twice the width of the moon or the sun. I'll be using these measurements during this guide. So a handspan at arm's length is 20 degrees, a fist is about 10 degrees, and a single finger is about one degree across the sky. One final point to note before we get started. The Earth rotates, and so the sky changes hour by hour. My descriptions of the constellations and stars in this guide fit the time of one to two hours after sunset. This month, the best constellations and stars are high overhead. So let's begin by getting comfortable. Grab a blanket, lie down with your feet facing west, and look straight up towards the zenith. With your feet pointing westwards, most of the constellations above will appear upright rather than upside down, as they often do from the southern hemisphere. At this point, if you are at a dark site away from city or town, light pollution, and if the moon is not up, I recommend you wait for about 15 minutes for your eyes to adjust to the darkness. 
your view of the night sky will be much better if you do this. If you are in a dark location and there is no moon up, you'll see the Milky Way, the edge-on view of our own galaxy, stretching from the south horizon on your left, passing overhead through or close to the zenith and reaching the north horizon on your right. It appears as a milky, irregular band of light. If the moon is up or you're near a city or a large town and light pollution is affecting your view, the Milky Way won't be visible, but you will see a bright band of stars stretching across this part of the sky from south to north. We begin with the constellation Orion, the hunter in the sky, slightly north or right of the zenith. With the help of your star map, locate the three stars of Orion's belt. From top to bottom, these are Alnitak, Alnilam, and Mintaka. To the right is the star Betelgeuse, glowing orange-red or maybe yellow-orange. This star represents Orion's shoulder. It's a red giant star coming to the end of its life. It's about 425 light years away, and it's hundreds of times larger than our sun. To the left of Orion's belt is the bright star Rigel, one of Orion's knees. Rigel is also at a late stage in its life cycle, although not as late as Betelgeuse. It's about a thousand light years away, and its surface temperature is about 11,000 degrees Celsius, about twice as hot as our sun. Now, if Betelgeuse and Rigel form Orion's right shoulder and left knee respectively, you should now be able to imagine the figure of a man, perhaps with the help of your star map. His head and shoulders are to the right. His body narrows to the three belt stars at his waist and his legs stretch out to the left. From Betelgeuse to Rigel is about a hand span or about 20 degrees across the sky. Between Orion's legs hanging from his belt is Orion's sword. To your eye, this appears as a line of three fuzzy stars. Through binoculars, they appear as three groups of stars, with a middle one surrounded by a faint, hazy cloud. This cloud, or nebula, is the Orion Nebula, over 1,500 light-years away. It's also known to astronomers as M42. It's perhaps the most photographed object beyond our solar system, and it's a large cloud of mostly hydrogen gas, which is producing new young stars. The cloud itself is about 15 light-years in diameter, and the stars you see embedded within it, with your binoculars or a telescope if you have one, were formed from the collapsing hydrogen gas within the last million years or so. A moment ago I mentioned light-years. What is a light-year? It's a measure of distance, even if it sounds like a time. If you have a torch, shine its light into the sky for a moment. The light from your torch travels incredibly fast. In just one second, it goes almost 300,000 kilometres. 
that's seven and a half times around the Earth, or almost the distance to the Moon. In fact, in just one and a quarter seconds, your torchlight would reach the Moon, 380,000 kilometres away. In eight and a half minutes, the light from your torch would reach the Sun, 150 million kilometres from Earth. After five hours, light from your torch would pass Pluto. And finally, after one year of time, your torch light will have travelled one light year of distance. Yet we still haven't reached the next nearest star. Proxima Centauri, our closest star after the Sun, is about 42 million million kilometres away from us. Your torchlight would take about 4.2 years to reach it. So we could say that Proxima Centauri is about 4.2 light years away from the Earth. This also means that we see Proxima Centauri, the star, as it was about 4.2 years ago, not as it is right now. We're looking into the past to see everything in the universe. So a light year is simply a distance, and one light year is about 10 million million kilometres long. Let's return to Orion. Orion is a pivotal constellation. Its stars are guides pointing to many other interesting stars, constellations and other objects in the sky. If we look at Orion's belt, and if we extend the line of Orion's belt stars down and right, we come to an orange star, an orange star amongst a V-shaped pattern of fainter stars. From the belt of Orion to this orange star is about 20 degrees, or a handspan. This group of stars is Taurus the Bull. The orange star is Aldebaran, the eye of the bull, and his head is the V-shaped group of stars. A little further down and further to the right, still following the line of Orion's belt stars, is a small cluster of sparkling diamond-like stars. These are best seen through binoculars, not a telescope, and these are also known as the Pleiades or Seven Sisters. It's a group of young stars, all born from the same nebula, the same gas cloud, so they really are sister stars. And they represent the daughters of Atlas, who holds the sky aloft on his shoulders, and Pleione. Returning back up to Orion's belt, let's now follow the line of the belt up and to the left, again, about 20 degrees or a handspan. And we reach the brightest star in the sky, Sirius. It's high overhead. Sirius means scorching or brilliant, and you can see why. It's also called the dog star because it's the brightest star in the constellation of Canis Major, the big dog. With the help of your star map, you can identify the shape of the dog, the faithful hunting companion of Orion. Just above Orion, as we lie here, 
and back towards the eastern horizon, 30 degrees from Orion's belt, is the bright star Procyon in the constellation Canis Minor, the little dog. This constellation looks nothing like its name, not at all. Only a few of the 88 constellations in the sky really look like their name. Back again to Orion, and now we use his sword to direct us to our next destination. You might notice Orion's sword points directly left to the south and right to the north. This is a very useful thing to remember when the Southern Cross is low in the sky as it is this month and during summer. Orion's sword is a summer compass, if you like. Following the direction of the sword far to the north, to the right, brings us to the bright yellowish star Capella. It's 50 degrees away from Orion and just a fist width above the northern horizon. Capella is the brightest star in the constellation Auriga, the charioteer who is a legendary king of Athens. Following Orion's sword to the south, or left, again about 50 degrees, brings us to a bright white star. And this star is Canopus, 205 light years away and the second brightest star in the night sky after Sirius. Canopus is one of the celestial navigation stars used by ship's navigators for centuries. And appropriately, it's the brightest star in the constellation of Carina, the keel of the great ship in the sky. The ship was once a single constellation called Argo Navis. But in about 1930, it was broken up into the keel and the nearby sails, Vela, the rear deck, Puppus, and the ship's compass, Pyxis. This is not an easy ship to identify in the sky. Perhaps it's fading into a summery ocean haze. More easily identified in this area of the sky is the False Cross, to distinguish it from the real Southern Cross. This is an asterism or star shape, not one of the 88 formal constellations. It lies on the border of Carina and Vela, taking in stars from both constellations. It's larger and fainter than the real Southern Cross, which lies further to the left and very close to the southern horizon tonight. Let's look back to Canopus, the navigation star. Below this star, you'll notice, if you're in a dark site away from city lights and with no moon in the sky, two cloudy patches... These are the Large Magellanic Cloud, LMC, it's referred to on your star map, and the Small Magellanic Cloud, the SMC. These clouds are companion galaxies to our own Milky Way galaxy, but our galaxy is bullying and harassing these smaller companions and tearing them apart. We used to think that in the distant future the Milky Way would absorb both these small galaxies but some recent work suggests they are just passing by. The small Magellanic Cloud is the lower of the two, 
That is, if you're still lying down with your feet to the west. Just to its right, about 15 degrees away, is another bright star. This is Achenar, meaning the river's end. It's the star at the end of the constellation Eridanus, the river in the sky. Now, here's a small challenge for you. Can you trace the river Eridanus across the sky? It meanders from Achenar across the zenith to its source near the star Rigel in Orion. Use your star map to star hop from one star to the next along the course of the river, travelling upstream to Orion. This star hopping technique is a good one to practice for future use when trying to find faint or obscure celestial objects, particularly with your binoculars or a telescope. Let's review what we've seen tonight. We begin from the south on your left and we'll travel along the Milky Way. Close to the southern horizon is the Southern Cross with the two pointer stars below. Moving northwards to the right, we pass the False Cross between Vela the Sails and Carina the Keel. Then comes Canopus, the bright navigation star, and below it, the Magellanic Clouds and Achenar. Next along is Canis Major and the brightest star Sirius, followed by Orion the Hunter with his belt and sword. Then comes Taurus the Bull and the Seven Sisters, and finally, low down on the northern horizon is Capella in the constellation Auriga. Phew, what a superb summer sight. It's an even better sight with binoculars. If you have them, slowly sweep the Milky Way, passing all the objects I've mentioned tonight, and you'll also discover, in between, hazy, gaseous nebulae where stars are born sparkling clusters of young stars and curious star patterns here and there. At first it seems overwhelming, but if taken in bite-sized chunks, month by month, there's a lifetime of observing to be had. But wait, there's more. Most of the brightest stars in the night sky are visible during January nights. Sirius, the dog star, is the brightest followed by Canopus, the navigation star. Third brightest is Alpha Centauri, one of the two pointer stars low in the south. Next are Arcturus and Vega, neither of which are visible on January evenings. So we go to the sixth brightest, which is Capella, a fist width above the northern horizon. And then Rigel, Orion's knee. Next is Procyon in the little dog, Canis Minor. Ninth brightest in the sky is Achenar at the end of the river Eridanus. Tenth 
Finally, Betelgeuse, Orion's shoulder, is the tenth brightest star in the night sky. That's eight of the ten brightest stars, all visible at once on these warm summer evenings. January is truly one of the best months to be outdoors, journeying through the starry realms. And now, let's have a look at the special events and highlights for this month. What are the special events and highlights for January 2019? Let me note that all the times I am about to mention are in Eastern Australian Daylight Saving Time, or AEDT, as it's properly known. Please make the appropriate adjustments for your time zone and state where necessary. Let's start with the moon phases. We begin the month with a new moon on Sunday the 6th of January at 12.28pm. First quarter is on Monday the 14th at 5.45pm. Full moon occurs on Monday the 21st at 4.16pm. And finally, last quarter moon is on Monday the 28th at 8.10am. The moon is the brightest object in the night sky when it's up, no matter what phase it's in. It's well worth observing its changing phases or looking closely at the craters, planes and other features with binoculars or a telescope. But to get the best views of the Milky Way and the constellations, it's best to avoid moonlit hours. If the moon is between new and full, that is, waxing, wait for it to set before observing the Milky Way and stars. So in January 2019, that would be in the first half of the month. If the moon is between full and new, or waning, observe before it rises. So for January, that would be in the second half of the month. You don't need a daily list of rise and set times. Just watch the moon for a few days and you'll soon learn to predict its behaviour. What planets are visible in January 2019? Mars is the only evening planet this month. It's in the northwestern sky in the constellation Pisces, the fish. On the 12th, the crescent moon is just to the left of Mars. In the dawn sky, it's a little different. Mercury is very low in the dawn twilight, but virtually impossible to see. Venus, however, shines bright and white, clear above the eastern horizon. It's the morning star at present. Venus begins the month in Libra, moves into Scorpius, and ends the month in Ophiuchus. Jupiter, the king of the planets, is also in the east, in a fucus this month, initially below and to the right of Venus. But as the month goes on, Jupiter moves up and left and passes Venus. On the 22nd, they are at their closest and they make a beautiful sight, these two bright planets, Jupiter and Venus, in the morning sky. Saturn begins the month behind the Sun, or in conjunction with the Sun, as we say. It then remains very low in the southeast and will be difficult to see until it rises higher towards the end of the month.
If you have trouble identifying the planets, the moon will help once again, as it often does. On January the 2nd, the crescent moon is beside Venus in the early morning. On the 3rd, it's just to the left of Jupiter. By the 5th, the crescent moon is just below Mercury, but this will be just before sunrise and may be very difficult, if not impossible, to observe. What about Earth? Once again, Earth reaches its closest point to the Sun, or perihelion, on Thursday the 3rd of January at 4.20pm. It will be just over 147 million kilometres from the Sun. What other astronomical events are happening in January 2019? Well, there's a partial solar eclipse on January the 5th and a total lunar eclipse on January the 21st, but sadly neither of these are visible from Australia. On January the 1st, however, the New Horizons spacecraft passes the icy Kuiper Belt object MU69, or Ultima Thule, as it's unofficially known. You may remember a few years ago, the New Horizons spacecraft shot past Pluto, and its images completely transformed our view of this distant dwarf planet. Now the spacecraft is taking a close look at one of the millions of tiny icy planetesimals out beyond Pluto. This one, MU69, is thought to have remained unchanged since the formation of our solar system. Images should begin arriving from about January the 2nd. What surprises are in store this time? And it's the beginning of a whole new year. So what are the great celestial events to look out for for the rest of 2019? Well, there will be a partial eclipse of the moon in July that we will see from Australia. And there's a total solar eclipse in July, but we won't see that from Australia, although you may hear about it. If you want to see this total solar eclipse, and it's something that everyone should experience at least once in their lifetime, you'll need to travel to Chile or Argentina in July to see that. One series of interesting events is when the Moon covers or occults Saturn. This happens in April, August and September. During these disappearances, or occultations, you'll see Saturn disappear behind the dark limb of the Moon and reappear around an hour later on the other side of the Moon. Now, these are best viewed with a telescope, but if you don't have one, Sydney Observatory plans to live-stream the April and August events, weather and technology allowing. Look out for that. Finally, there's a transit of Mercury this year, where Mercury crosses the face of the Sun. But, once again, you'll need to travel, this time to New Zealand or South America again, to observe this transit of Mercury. There are also a few astronomical anniversaries to celebrate in 2019. Here they are. 2019 marks the centenary of the International Astronomical Union, the IAU, It's the representative body for professional astronomers across the world. 
The organisation grew out of meetings held in Europe to plan the astrographic catalogue, the first photographic chart of the entire sky. Sydney Observatory was deeply involved in the astrographic catalogue project in the years before and after 1900. Today, the IAU's mission is to promote and preserve astronomy. Among its many duties, it maintains the definitions of astronomical constants, such as the mass of the Sun or the astronomical unit, which is the standard distance between Earth and the Sun. It standardises nomenclature, and it's the recognised authority for naming celestial objects, such as stars, craters on the Moon and comets. In 2019, the Great Melbourne Telescope turns 150. The largest telescope in the world when it began work in Melbourne Observatory in 1869. It's now being restored by a dedicated group of volunteers in Melbourne. Hopefully soon it'll be available once again for viewing. 2019 is the centenary of some observations of Mercury made during a total solar eclipse. But these observations, made off the coast of Africa in May 1919 by Arthur Eddington, provided evidence that Einstein's general theory of relativity, his theory that explains gravity, was indeed correct. And finally, August 29 to September 2 this year marks the centenary of the Carrington event a series of colossal solar flares that disrupted telegraph communication, caused auroras to be visible near the equator and made the sky glow so brightly newspapers could be read at night. If such an event happened today, it would damage the electronics in your phone and your PC, possibly damage electricity grids and cause blackouts and perhaps endanger the digital age. Thank goodness all we need to view the night sky are our eyes. And on that cheery note, we wrap up this podcast for January 2019. If you've enjoyed this night sky guide and want to regularly check out what's in the night sky, why not purchase a copy of Sydney Observatory's annual guide, the Australasian Sky Guide? It's jam-packed with monthly astronomical information, including rise and set times for the sun, moon and planets, tide times and a detailed look at our solar system and upcoming astronomical events. It's available from Sydney Observatory and the Mars Store, or you can purchase it online for which some additional costs apply. For more astronomical information, check our website and blogs at mars.museum Sydney Observatory. Keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter accounts. And if you're in Sydney, visit the observatory in the Rocks area. Join a tour to view the skies through our telescopes. Visit our Space Theatre or the Sydney Planetarium. Tour our exhibition for free and discover the history of Australian astronomy. But please check our website for details and be aware not all activities are free and some require bookings. And that brings to an end this night sky guide from Sydney Observatory and from me, Andrew Jacob. Thank you for listening, and I wish you clear skies until next time. (laughs) 